If you've been with us uh, over the past uh, weeks, uh, we have been diving into the book of Romans, and uh, it has been a ride already. Um, but I am excited about what God has to say to us, offer us, and ways that he's going to change us as we continue uh, to try to be faithful as we can to the preaching and application of God's word. How many people know that the word of God is powerful? Amen. Amen. One person once said, when it comes to the word of God, it is like a lion. You don't need to defend a lion. You just set it loose. And so that's what we want to do. We just want to set the scripture loose and let the word of God do what it does. Amen. And so we'll be continuing in the book of Romans this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, you want to get to Romans chapter 1 very quickly. Our main verses this morning will be verses 26 through 32, although I will be touching on some previous verses for the sake of context this morning. When you're there, say amen. amen. If you're not there, say hold up. All right, I'm going to hold up then. All right, if you're there, amen. If you're not there, too bad. Before we dive into the scripture this morning, I'd like to make an, uh, or speak about an observation that I believe that is true for everyone. I've yet to find anyone who does not ask these four basic questions about their life. I'll give three now, and I'll save the fourth one for the end, and I want you to remember that. I'm going to save the fourth question for the end. Here's the first question that I believe all of humanity asks themselves. Who am I? Who am I? Now, my daughter, Lila, she is only one years old, and she is fascinated with this movie called Moana. Maybe you're familiar with that movie, but she will watch that movie all day long. I'm tired of the movie, to be quite frank. I'm like, can we watch Black Panther or something? No, I'm just messing around. I'm messing around. I'm messing around. It's doing a little shade. But if I was to sum this movie up, it is a quest for Moana to figure out who she is. She starts off a life with frustrations and disappointment trying to figure out, who am I? Maybe you can relate to this children's movie. On a quest to answer the basic question so often in the mirror, who am I? And there's the second question. And this second question seems to flow quite naturally out of the first question. Why am I here? Who am I? Uh, automatically leads to, why am I here? What is the purpose for my existence? I live on a planet with about 7 billion other people. God, why do I exist? Why did you choose to make me the way you made me? This question seems to surface very early. As my 13-year-old daughter is wrestling with this already. And so y'all pray for me. She's trying to figure out, why is she here? Uh, one uh, preacher uh, kind of summarized the way the world tells us that we're here, and he says that the world tells us we are here to consume and enjoy, to consume and enjoy. We are here to get all we can, can all we get, and sit on the can. Say that again. It may have went over some of you guys' heads. We are here to get all we can, can all we get, and sit on the can. The reality is 
we are getting, but we are getting nowhere. Then what flows out of that is this third question. What is wrong with the world? Who am I? What is my purpose? Or why am I here? And what is wrong with the world? A quick look at social media, Snapchat, Facebook, IG, Twitter. A quick look at the news. A brief thought of 9-11 or segregation or, or, or a quick consideration of our own homes. And the question quickly comes surfacing out of our hearts to eye level. What is wrong with the world? The answer to these basic questions were lost after Adam and Eve ate the fruit. Adam and Eve knew who they were, why they existed, and there was nothing wrong with the world. What happened? There seems to be a sort of spiritual malfunction that began to happen after the fall. Why such lostness in chaos? In Romans chapter 1, Paul waves his hand like a third grader with the answer to the the teacher's question. Paul waves his hand at us as if it were. And and, and like no other book in the Bible, Romans explains to us what is wrong with us and what is wrong with the world. Paul offers this in chapter 1. What is wrong with the world? Talk to us this morning, Paul. Why have we lost whose we are and what we are created to do? Why have we lost whose we are and what we are created to do? Answer, all humans live, prior to salvation, like God doesn't exist. Let me say that again. What is the issue? What is the problem? Because if you don't get the problem right, you're going to mess up the solution. So you got to get the problem right. The problem is all humans, especially prior to salvation, live as if God does not exist. Look at Romans verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as what? God. Or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The Apostle Paul Summarize the human story after Adam and Eve's sin. The created world reveals God, but in spite of this innate knowledge of him, humans have continued to continue down a resolute path of living as if there is no God. If there is a God, then two things are required. Honor and thanksgiving. But notice, we do not honor him as God or give thanks to him. According to verse 21, the root of the word for honor is glory or glorify. To honor something is to give it glory or to glorify it. Here is the theme again. The root of sin is the opposite of honoring or glorifying. Sin is a refusal to glorify God a refusal to worship him, a refusal to honor him as the ultimate reality or person. No, I will not live in submission to you, God. I will not place you in a spot of higher significance than me. 
I will not view your will as more important than my own. This is sin. It's rejection. It's refusal to honor the Lord. And how do humans dismiss God while living in a world that is pulsating with him? How do we ignore God and the beauty of who he is is all around us? One preacher said this, we are like three-year-olds who call their parents make-believe while they eat the supper bought and prepared by daddy and mommy. We are like three-year-olds that call their parents make-believe as they eat and enjoy the meal prepared by mommy and daddy. God is not real as I enjoy his creation God is not real as I enjoy my food. God is not real as I breathe in air. God is not real as I enjoy the beauty of his creation on vacation. God is not real, and it is silly. The Bible summarizes it this way. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And what is the result of thinking this way? According to Paul in verse 21, the result is dark hearts that result in a loss of identity, a loss of purpose in an unpleasant world. The result of our rejection of God results in a loss of identity, purpose in an unpleasant world. A few weeks ago, Stephen Hawkins died. Maybe you know him. Incredible mind. I mean, the dude was brilliant. Incredible determination to do life from a wheelchair. Brilliant genius off the charts. But he denied the existence of God and sought to explain the universe without him. Stephen Hawkins, as brilliant as he is, decided to try to explain the world without God. Imagine that, trying to make sense out of the creation apart from the creator. They named this movie after him, which was entitled The Theory of Everything. Hawkins looked and looked, but ultimately didn't find his answer. He wondered, who am I? Why do I exist, and what is wrong with the world? The natural man searches for meaning without God could be explained as a blind man looking in a dark room for a black cat that isn't there. The natural man searching for meaning without God could be explained as a blind man looking in a dark room for a black cat that isn't there. Do you try to understand shampoo apart from hair? Do you try to understand socks apart from feet? A speaker apart from noise? How does the man try to explain creation apart from God? When the truth is suppressed and the truth is denied, man must live according to something. We were made to worship, and if God isn't our focus of worship, someone or something must take his place. We see this in verse 22. Watch this, claiming 
to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Truth is suppressed, then denied, then exchanged. Watch the flow. Truth is first suppressed, then it's denied, and then it's exchanged. All of that has to happen. You have to suppress that God is real, then deny him, then exchange him. All of that must happen in that order. And what a horrible trade. The glory of the immortal God for creation? How much is God worth? Oh, nothing. Give me money. Give me education. Give me family. Give me drugs instead. The greatest insult and treason or offense in the universe is when we exchange God for created things. And we do it every day. During Easter, I asked this question. Would you exchange a $100 bill for a $20 bill? Nobody in their right mind is going to do that. If you come up to me and say, I'll give you this 20 for your $100 bill, you better hope I've been spending time with Jesus that day. You just better hope. Now, you can get over on the kid with that because they don't know the value of that money. But not me, not today. But we see the foolishness of man all throughout the Old Testament. Worshiping man may carve images that cannot talk, hear, or feel. So, so see this in the Old Testament, right? Here it is. Israel has this living God, right? He delivers them out of Exodus. He brings them into the wilderness to worship him, right? He, he just did 10 different plagues, right? He spread at the Red Sea, but before he even gets to that, I mean, he's sending locusts. He's turning the river into blood. He sent, who sends a, a bunch of frogs? And he's just a bunch of frogs, right? And so they are seeing and witnessing all of this, and what do they do? They build a golden calf that cannot talk and cannot save at all. How foolishness is that? Here it is. Your God can do all of these things, and you say, forget him. Give us a golden calf. (laughs) And now they're talking to the thing. They're talking to it. They're talking to a statue. They're talking to brick and clay. You can't do anything for them. Right? We do it all the time. Talking to things that can't save us. You can talk to your bank account all you want. It cannot save you. I know some of you believe that it can, but it can't. The Greeks created all kinds of gods. Venus, Apathodite, Nike, Zeus. None of them have any power to save us. They can't even talk, and they cannot hear us. Imagine entrusting your life to stone and clay. Therefore, these false gods cannot answer life's questions. Who am I? Why am I here? And what is wrong with the world? Little way John Piper puts this. He says the most foundational thing to life is 
God is. Or to say it the way Moses says it, God is who he is. Or to say it more philosophically, God absolutely is. This is the most basic fact and the most ultimate fact, period. Of the billions of facts that there are, this one is at the bottom and at the top. It is the foundation of all others and the consummation of all others. Nothing is more basic and nothing is more ultimate than the fact that God is. If God is not, neither are you. One magazine, magazine asks the question, is God dead? If God was dead, we'll all be dead. If God was dead, that chair would disappear. If God was dead, we'll all disappear. There will be nothing. Will there be a such thing as nothing if God did not exist? God is. If he is, we are not. If he's not, then we're not. He's the ultimate reality by which all other realities exist. If God decides for you not to exist, you will not exist. God is. It is the most foundational truth to your family, to this church, that God is. And he is that he is. Where did he come from? Nowhere. He just was. He just is. That's what it is to be God. It it blows your mind, right, that God is. He exists outside of time. He's not confined to time. In fact, he started time. There has to be an eternal being that exists out of things that are not eternal, which is why John opens his gospel with what? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, Joe witnesses argue that Jesus is a created being. I said, hold on. Hold up. Go to verse 3. Without him was not anything made that was made. That takes him out of the made category. You cannot be both the maker of everything and be made yourself. That is a contradiction. God is. And until we conclude that he is, we cannot understand who we are. And this is the issue in Romans 1, is that humanity is functioning as if God is not. And that's an issue. And this is why society is crumbling, because we act as if he is not. And what is the result? Complete chaos. We lose the understanding of who we are, why we exist, and the world is filled with darkness. This is the rest of Romans 1. The result of man concluding God is not instead of God is. Now, I want you to see something here. Man concludes or he acts as if God is not. Now, watch how God reacts. He reacts by doing three things. Look at verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts. Drop your eyes down to verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Drop your eyes down to verse 28. Since they didn't acknowledge God, God gave them up. Do you see the repetition there? Do you see the verb phrase, God gave them up? Now watch this. This is crazy. 
Now, this phrase, God gave them up, this is a judicial punishment on God's part. This is a judicial punishment. This is how God is punishing us for our rejection of him. This is how he punishes us. The verb God gave them up, gave them up, gave them up, is used in many, many ways in the New Testament. To speak of turning someone over to the court, turning someone over to a judge, turning someone over to a sentencing, or turning someone over to a punishment or executioner. Like in the hood, we say, don't give us up, right? Snitches get, get rid of that rule. Sucks. My daughter was getting on my son about snitching on her. She like, hey, brother, snitches get snitches. I'm like, hold up. Sit down, hold up, sit down, hold up. Stop saying that. Don't say that. I'm like, she does wrong. You tell me. I need to know. Right? I need the inside, man. I don't know about you. Oh, give me the inside information. That's one of the things about the smartphone. These kids so stupid, they just leave everything on there. Don't even clean it up. She ain't in here. I don't need to be giving my secrets away. Y'all better not say nothing either. All right. But when God says he gives us up, God literally gives mankind up. He abandons them. When man fail to acknowledge God, God judges humanity by giving them up. Giving us up to what? This means that God gives us what we want. We demand freedom from God, and God says, if it's freedom you want, it's freedom you'll get. One commentator puts it this way. Divine judgment is God permitting people to go their own way. God doesn't have to enact punishment for sin. Sin is its own punishment. (laughs) Here's the crazy part. People think that, man, God's not doing anything to me. Man, I'm having a ball. Just wait. (laughs) It's not okay. This is why James says that when our desire fully gives birth to sin, sin fully gives birth to what? To death. Sin is no game. And you sit and you try to get people to repent, and they look you in your look you dead in your eye. And they're so devoted, and this is not funny, they're so devoted to their sin that they cannot see the danger ahead. And you're pleading and you're warning them, and they are willing to lose everything for this sin. What you love affects what you can believe. You love something so much you can't see the truth. We can give you evidence after evidence after evidence after evidence that the Bible is real. 26,000 archaeological diggings, 30,000 manuscripts. Can I can go on and on and on? And that doesn't matter because sin blinds us. It blinds us. We are like teenagers. We can't wait to get out of our parents' house. All of us. We're like that. I think I'm getting payback. I finally realize what it is when the Bible says you reap what you sow. I said, I wish I wouldn't have sown that one. God gives us up. 
And we think we get freedom, but we just become slaves to sin. Cold is just the absence of heat. Darkness is just the absence of light. Sin is just the absence of God. God says, since you want to act like I don't exist, let me show you what it is not to have me. We are like teenagers who, who want to get out of our parents' house because we think that there's freedom on the other side of our parents' door. It's not long until little Ray Ray or little Bill a little Antonio, make sure I get everybody, <laughs> finds out that there's a dog-eat-dog world out there. Little Ray Ray, little Billy, or little Antonio discovers that his parents were actually covering him and loving him by protecting him from the evil on the other side of the door. And what happened to the prodigal son? Daddy, give me what belongs to me. I'm ready to live life and to do what I want. I'm tired of living under your jurisdiction because under your jurisdiction, I feel like I'm not free. So I need to get out of here and I need to go. Give me what you owe me. The funny part is, is that he needed from his dad before he left. He thought he would have got that, but he didn't get it. But that's all right because we all do stupid things. Hey, I'm ready to live on my own. You got you, uh, 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 you got five dollars. You got five dollars. I have got to tell y'all this story, though. All right, so when I was younger, right, my, my older brother, man, he was mad at my dad. They were, like, setting rules on him, like, no, you can't do this, you can't do this. So, he, you know, he gets mad at my dad, like, man, I'm leaving this house. He packs a suitcase. He throws a blanket and one boot in there. I said, he'll be back. He will be back. He's not going anywhere. What? He took one boot. What you going to do with one boot? You could at least take two boots. He took one boot. But what happens? The prodigal son, he goes out there, he lives on his own, and he finds out what? Life is not as gravy as I thought it was. This is what God does to us. Now, God gives us over to our sin, and the evidence that sin is killing us as we start malfunctioning, we start malfunctioning. And when things start to malfunction, it shows signs. Now, watch what Paul does. Paul sees the rejection of God earlier on. And then in verses 24 and 26 and all the way down, he's going to say, and these are the effects. These are the signs. These are the malfunctions of humanity, of society, society when we turn our backs on God. Now, watch how sin plays out. God abandons us out of wrath, out of judgment. Now, last week I talked about sex. Did you guys like that sermon? Okay. We'll see in nine months how good it was. Y'all know I'm crazy. Frank, you praying for me? I know you is. Okay. <laughs> Let's say focus. Focus. One of the effects of our rejection of God is the malfunctioning of our human sexuality. Okay, now look at verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. When something is about to break down or stop working the way that it was intended to work, it shows us signs. 
All right. I had a car not too long ago. It's in the junkyard. They smashed it as flat as a pancake. All right. This car started acting up on me. I would be, I literally, I'll be on I-65 and my predometer would start doing this. One time it said I was going 180 and I knew I was going 60. <laughs> I knew something was wrong with the car. And then it took me forever to get that thing to start up. You know when you got to do those five turns, you end. I don't know why we think when we throw our shoulder into it, it's going to turn on, you know, and you pump that gas five times, and it don't work, and it don't work. You say, in the mighty name of Jesus, I declare you to work right now. There is a God. There is a God. Now I'm just playing. But that dashboard acting up and going crazy was a sign of something deeper. It was telling me that something went right with my car, all right? Here's one even more at home. We just bought a brand new piano here because the old piano, the keys were going out. Now, you can't be in church and the keys are going out. You, you know, we praising God and what's going on? Yeah, you know what I mean? And so because the, when something is malfunctioning, when something is broken, we do what? We get rid of it. Or we try to repair it, but you can't repair nothing these days because it costs more to repair. You might as well go buy a new one. We call this malfunctioning. Now, what does malfunction mean? It means to fail to function normally or satisfactorily. The evidence that something is about to break or is broken is it stops functioning normally. And this is what Paul is saying in Romans 1. We know that we are breaking down because we are breaking down in our sexuality as one of many. What Paul is saying here is one of the signs that humanity is malfunctioning is evident in our sexuality. And if we are to be honest, or at least I'll be honest, this was me all day long. All day long. People reduce, as I said last week, to booty calls, hitter quitters, sex is all, my, is all of my life. It is evident that we are losing who we are in our purpose by how we use our bodies. Our sexuality does not function the way it was created to. Sex is to be experienced by one man and one woman who are in a covenantal agreement called marriage. But we know that in our society, sex is abused by almost all of us. The Bible says, therefore man should leave his father and his mother and hold fast to who? His wife, and they shall become one. Y'all reading y'all Bibles, amen. Any sexual activity outside of that is sin. Now note, sex is not the problem, but a symptom of the problem. If you treat symptoms and you don't treat the disease, it comes back. The way we misuse sex is a symptom. It is not the problem. The problem is deeper, namely your heart. And it is critical to remember this as we move forward. The issue is our heart. Now watch this. Paul is now going to press more into sexuality in verse 26. Read with me. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. 
And the man likewise gave up natural relation with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Man committing shameless acts with man and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. Do you see that? I want to make sure that everybody's looking at this. All right, because we're getting ready to step into some really sticky territory. And I know how people feel about this. And there may be various feelings about this, but I want to make sure that we see it biblically. Now, that's what I'm fighting for. Not my opinion, not about how I feel. It doesn't matter about how I feel. I can't save anybody. It doesn't matter how God feels and how he sees things. So let's go through this. <clears throat> now, it doesn't take a rocket science scientist to know that Paul is talking about homosexuality. If you are following the flow of the text, he doesn't present it in a good light. Paul sees homosexuality as a result of God's judgment on mankind because of their rejection of him. Paul calls it sin. Now, I realize that this is a hot news item right here, and it's torn and ripped out the front page of our world. Now, same-sex marriage, transgenders, uh, which bathroom to use, these are not small matters in our world at all. This debate dominates our news and politics like no other time in America's history. It is always hard to be heard when you're speaking on a subject that has so much historical pain, so much hurt, and cultural noise around it. It is hard to be heard. One must work through so many preconceived notions before dealing with the subject at hand. Let me explain. One example is this. Because we are an exegetical church, we go verse by verse. We cannot skip over things. If I was to skip over this, you should say, hey, hey, pastor, why did you skip over that? Right? I don't get to skip over things. I don't care how hard it is. Right? So if I was preaching and say I was in Ephesians and I came across slaves, obey your masters. Before you can get to what that means, you must dig through the centuries of slavery, Jim Crow laws, and right now pain of people feeling. Why? Because we must deal with it to help establish clear communi communication between you and the hearer. I believe we need to be aware and sensitive to history, to culture, and people's stories. Now, I could just say, that the Bible says it and get over it. That's not wise, and it's not okay. As a preacher, we are to give you, and I'm going to help you out what your preacher should be doing. As preachers, we are to give you what the Bible says, no question. But we are to convey it in love with a desire for you to understand. I'm seeking your understanding. So when I'm sitting down writing sermons, you know what I'm doing? I'm like, okay, God, I need an illustration that can help them get this deep truth so they can understand this culturally. We preachers are called to live in two worlds, the Bible and our own, so that our preaching might act as a bridge to your understanding and heart, which means I need to understand the people and culture I'm called to without compromising the Bible in order that my communication is understood. If we do not do this, people are not rejecting the Bible, but they are rejecting us because we're offensive and arrogant. 
And I don't mind being rejected for Jesus, but I will not be rejected for being a jerk. The Bible is offensive, but we need not to add our offense to it. So let me talk to the church, and then I want to talk to those who are struggling with homosexuality or practicing homosexuality in the room. Church, we are so quick to call this wrong, and it is, but the reality is we are all in the wrong before God. But God didn't just call your sin wrong. He didn't point down from heaven and say, you're wrong, go to hell. He didn't do that. didn't do that at all. God could have done that. It's certainly not what we've been learning about the gospel around here. Jesus came from heaven and dwelt among us. Our God did life with us. Now, I want you to watch Jesus. Watch how Jesus deals with sin. Because oftentimes we think that if we're in the vicinity of sin, that we are saying that we're cool with it. Now, watch Jesus. In, 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 in uh, Matthew chapter 9, it says, and, and as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collector and sinners, S-I-E-N-E-R-S, came. And were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus is hanging around sinners. They're eating a meal together. Hello. Jesus enters into their world in fellowships with them. He doesn't say, ew, I can't sit next to sinners. By godly, the Holy Spirit wouldn't be in you if that was the case. Now, what does the Pharisee say? Why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors, right? And one of the reasons we distance ourselves from certain sin is because we don't want to be called sinners. That's Pharisaic. I don't care what you call me. It only matters what God thinks. And God got me on a mission to save all those who are broken and lost. Jesus makes this clear in Mark 2, 17. Come on, Jesus. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Why am I hanging around them? Because they won't have any light if I don't hang around them. Why am I going to their crib? Because they need me. And Christians ought to be willing to get over yourself and beside yourself and to realize that it's okay to step into places of darkness so that we may be the light of the world. Nobody cares about you being able to articulate what is wrong and right. If you're not going to bust a grape, be quiet and sit down somewhere. If you're not going to help folks. The way that God helped you. This, we have got to get it, church. We've got to get this. And stop being in the four walls and sitting here articulating what is right and what is wrong. I'm glad that we know that. And now we know the implications of living wrong. 
So it ought to spur you on to go tell about Jesus. Because if they don't hear about him, they're going to hell. More compassion. Don't forget that God goes into the dumpster and saves you. Because that's where you are. Okay. The issue with many Christians, Christians is that they have been quick to condemn the LGBT community, but have not had a meal with someone from that community. Quick to condemn, but slow to go hear one's person's story from that community. We have yet to weep with them. No one loves like Jesus, and yet he was killed. But no one could ever accuse Jesus of not being loving, of not pursuing, of not trying to show them the way out. If you are persecuted, don't let it be because you are a loveless, godless jerk and arrogant. May the LGBTQ community be able to look at this church and say we may not agree with them, but those people right there are people of love. And it, if people call us religious bigots, May it be over a long resume of crying with people, opening our homes to them, opening our church to them, and most importantly, opening our arms to them and laying down our lives as if that is what it takes. Now let me talk to those who may be homosexual or struggling with homosexuality. If you are struggling with homosexuality or practicing, I want you to know what I do not mean when I say homosexuality is wrong, I do not mean I'm better than you. I do not mean it is the only and worst sin. I do not mean that God doesn't have grace for it. And I don't mean that you are less human. I don't mean your sin is worse than my sin. Lord knows that it's not. I'm certainly not wanting to communicate in any way that I am a homophobe. And I apologize if your experience within the church has been unhelpful stereotypes, prejudice, and even cruel mistreatment. These kinds of attitudes are not helpful, and they're ungodly, and they have no place in this church or no church at all. I want you to know you are made in the image of God like us with inherent worth and dignity. And I thought it'd be good for all of us, not just to hear to a dude who never struggled with this, but to hear from someone who has. So I want to pause this sermon for a second because I think it's important that we hear from someone. And so I want you to turn your attention to the screen. And I want you to hear from a lady who was struggling with homosexuality and God delivered her. Is it not back there? That sucks. No help at all? All right. I'll try to post the link on uh, Facebook so you guys could look at it. Um, I think that she shared some very powerful things. I won't try to regurgitate what she said, uh, but I will encourage you to um, go look at it. All right. So how should we view homosexuality? The same way we view any sin, through a grid of the cross, God's grace and forgiveness. We want to be a church that is welcoming, but not affirming. Welcoming, but not affirming. This is Bethel Stand. All people are welcome at this place. Homosexual, liars, cheats, adulterers, self-righteous, 
Just grab a seat next to the center next to you. You got it? Look at that, man. Y'all start praising and the blessings come down. There we go. All right. There are a number of things, but, but, but the first is, is that people are, are people, and um, folks who identify as lesbian or gay, bisexual, transgendered, queer, are, um, you know, they, they're, tr they're trying to make, make the most sense of their life as they can. They, they feed their dogs. They love their children. They, they, keep, they keep good care of their gardens. I mean, people are people. Um, and so the, the most important thing that Christians can do is not, is not buy into this, um, this real travesty of personhood that has come to us through the category of sexual orientation, and that is to believe that somehow people who identify as gay or lesbian are a separate species of people. There's one category of personhood. A person is, has a soul that will last forever, is an image bearer of a holy God. So even when we meet people who... Um, are, are reflecting that image badly, and, and I think it's fair to say that we all would be that considered that person. We still must see that person as an image bearer of a holy God. Another thing Christians get really tripped up with, I think, is they focus so much on the particular sin that that person manifests or that you think that person manifests, and they, they become then bad listeners. You know, when when I first started reading the Bible and was meeting with Ken Smith, who's the pastor the Lord used in my conversion, he, um, he was really clear that he, I don't, he knew that my being a lesbian was not my biggest sin. Being an unbeliever was. So don't get sidetracked into focusing on sins, plural, about anybody, whether it's your neighbors who identify as LGBT or, or, or other neighbors. Um, get to know people well enough to know what's really the issue. You know, everyone has a longing for those things that eternal souls need. And the Word of God is the only food, and the person of Jesus Christ is the only friend for all of humanity. So don't get sidetracked with how people are presenting themselves or how they're identifying. That's not helpful, and it's not even kind. Um, another thing you might want to think about, too, is that before you focus on the specifics and on the consequences of original sin, a really helpful thing to do is to really just share worldview. When people get together and they talk, it, it doesn't hurt to say, well, you know, this is why Christians think the way they think. We believe that all people are distorted by original sin. Uh, me and you and everybody else, and we're all distorted differently. But before you get into the particulars of, of actual sins, it really does help to at least have some kind of opportunity to talk about some other things. And there's only one way to do that, and that's to actually have time with people, to not be afraid to linger with your neighbors, and to not be afraid to have a particular household that encourages people to come and share their lives. Amen, amen, and amen. <clears throat> I felt that video was so, so, so helpful. So all are welcome at Bethel Gary, no matter who they are. Homosexuals are welcome here. Adulterers are welcome here. Cheats are welcome here. Liars are welcome here. Fornicators are welcome here. We are not going to affirm any of those lifestyles, we will preach the word of God here. As morally, we will not 
affirm those lifestyles as morally right, but we will seek to love, care, and meet people in their mess at whatever point they are and to point them to a Savior who has died for our sins. And here's the last thing that I want to say in regards to this. If you are struggling or you are in that lifestyle now, we would love to be the family that joins in the fight against sin with you and see you repent and come to Jesus. There is no greater joy than to know him. Now, let's zoom back out because Paul doesn't stop at just homosexuality. He presses on. And this is what gets me. Like, keep reading. Don't stop there. Keep reading because you're in there too. Everything is malfunctioning. Everything is malfunctioning. Church, it is not just our sexuality that is evident that we are malfunctioning. That is the tip of the iceberg. The entire system is corrupt. The sin virus has touched everything. Look at the rest of the chapter. Picking up at verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetiveness, and malice. They are all full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. You find yourself yet? They are gossips. Slanderer, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful. Watch this one. Nikki and we laugh about this all. Inventors of evil. We, what do you do for a living? Invent evil? I'm an engineer in inventing evil. Like, like you're just sitting there just making up stuff. Just bad stuff for no reason. This is crazy. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Good gracious, Bible, back up off me, right? He's just going in on me. If somebody did that, you would walk out on them. Think about it. You sit down with somebody and say, you're foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. <laughs> Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. People try to categorize this list, but the point seems to be that the accumulating effect of our depravity is chaos. It is not like things are kind of bad. They are really bad. Every one of these items is in, is in the everyday news. They feel almost normal to us. But all of them are, all of them is our suffering because of our refusal to acknowledge God. These acts are carried out by humans. So when people say, why can't God just get rid of evil? When they ask that question that way, we think evil's somewhere out there. We fail to realize our hearts. Because if God was to get rid of evil, he'll have to wipe us all out. Bye-bye. We are more wicked than we think that we are. And our entire nature is corrupt because we are in Adam. Jeremiah says it this way. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it. We are not good, we are not okay, and we are not decent. We love ourselves and things more than God. We give more thought to the carpet in our houses than we do God. And therefore, we are blind and spiritually dead. And he ends with not only do we do these, but we have, so, we have no shame. We actually cheer on other people to sin. 
It's one thing to sin and do wrong before a holy God. But Paul really helps us out to get how wicked we are. We celebrate sin. We see it in our TV shows. We see it in our music. We even go to parties. There's a whole party dedicated down south called the Freak Nick, and all of that is just to do what? Celebrate sexual sin. And people go around it and, and celebrate it all day long. We have no shame, no guilt, and we love darkness. So what is wrong with the world? You and me. Church, what do we do with broken, malfunctioning, dysfunctional things? You throw it away, especially if it's broken beyond repair. This is what we did with that piano that we had. It was malfunctioning, and it was broken, and so we threw it away. But thanks be to God that he does not throw broken, dysfunctional human beings away. I was listening to this preacher up in Chicago and he was talking about how uh, he was getting rid of the piano in his church. The church had had this piano pretty much since they started the church. The piano was over 50 years old. It was an eight-foot grand piano. It, was, it wasn't working right, and so he decided to sell it and figure how much he can get for it. He found out people were willing to give him a brand new piano and some money on top of it for that old, dusty piano. It had scratches on it. It wasn't working right. And he reached out to several people. And after he kept reaching out and people kept offering him money and a brand new piano, he said, hold up, wait a minute. They must know something about this piano that I don't know. And so what did he do? He reached out to the owners. I believe it was called Stein and Way. I believe I got that right. And so he reaches out to them, and they send two people to his church. Imagine that. And they come, and they look at the piano, and they come with lights on their head. They got the cap on, and they open up the piano, and they're looking under it and things like that. And they say, sir, what you're going to need to fix this piano is that we're going to have to give it some new strings. We're going to have to give it some new keys, and then we're going to have to refurbish it on the outside and, and then apply a humidity thing to it in order for it to work. And it's going to cost you tens and thousands of dollars. He said, no, thank you. And she said, no, 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 no. You don't understand, sir. He says, yes, 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 I do understand. They're willing to give me a brand new piano, and you telling me that I got to spend tens and thousands of dollars on this piano? She said, sir, wait a second. She said, lift up the hood on that. You see that name, boss, inside of there? Because of that name, as bad as shape as this piano is in, it is still worth far more than any other piano. Y'all don't appreciate the gospel when you hear it. You may be jacked up. You may be messed up. You may have scratches on the outside. But there's a name by the name of Jesus Christ that God has impressed upon you. And because the name of Jesus is on you, it doesn't matter what they said about you. It doesn't matter what your bank account looks like. It doesn't matter how jacked up you are. It doesn't matter what your past is like. It doesn't matter what your hair It doesn't matter your status. It doesn't matter because there's a name 
by the name of Jesus. And as long as his name is on me, it doesn't matter what my past is. I'm worth far greater than anything else. Yes, you should have tossed me away, but he put a name on me that makes me worthy of redemption. He put a name on me that makes me worthy of being saved. And somebody say the name of Jesus in this place. Now, I don't know if you know that old song, but I love the name of Jesus. It is like music unto my ears. I don't know about you, but I jacked up, messed up, going his own way, and God put a name on you, church. If you knew the worth of that name, you would stand to your feet this morning and give God his due praise because you are worth more than you look like. You are worth more than what they said about you. You are worth more, far more. And hold up. Hold up. Wait a minute. Before we get our shout on, I want to just point this out. You know the difference between the piano that we have and the piano that they had. The only difference was the name. We got to be careful judging unbelievers because the only difference between you and the believer is a name that God put on you. Come on, somebody. 